Rose. Here comes Zion. Up and in. What body control on that layup. Oh! And Zion. Oh! Just probables oh. his way right to the hole. Ball ahead to Williamson. He goes inside and banks it in with the left hand on the right side. Whoa! Williamson this time scoop layup. Scoring in a number of different ways. He's got 25 points in 25 minutes. Zion flipping a three. Yes! Okay, so you know what I don't want to hear tomorrow? Zion did not take a shot out of three feet. It's time to talk hoops on the Logan and the Low Post podcast. Well, when you have a highlight reel in the preseason, you must be pretty good at basketball. Zion Williamson, you just listened to the Atlanta Hawks, the Chicago Bulls, the New Orleans Pelicans television broadcasters, as well as ESPN and Mike Breen. But Zion Williamson, expected to be sidelined the first couple of weeks of the season. Certainly a blow to the TV ratings. But Zion, we wish all the best for his health. Can't wait to see him back on the court for some real basketball. Real basketball starts Tuesday, October 22nd. This is episode four of the Logan and Low Post podcast. I'm your host, Logan LaDuke, and next to me is once again Brandon Monty. I figured it was only fair to bring him on again considering our audio went awry, I guess you could say, last week. And I don't totally know why. We're trying to fix the problem, but hopefully we're coming in crisp and clear today. Monty, welcome back in to Studio 106, bud. Oh, it's good to have me back. Thank you for having me after... I know you didn't purposely sabotage me last week. No. Well, I, I don't think you did. I don't... But, you know, you know I think I was trying to uh, get back at you for coming up with a podcast name called the Brandon Monty Podcast. Now, oh, you know, yeah. Well, you see, you just punishing. told me that you weren't going to mention that on air, but you know... It, no, I, I get how you are. I get how you operate. That's all good. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of fun today. I can already tell. We're, oh, we're one minute in. We're this, off to a great start, my friend. A lot of tension already. But yes, see. Brandon Monty from the Brandon Monty Podcast is in the studio with me. We got 10 more teams to talk about and their win projections, as well as play a little over-under on said win projections. We'll then talk about our biggest takeaway from the preseason and then preview opening night in the NBA. Now, I did say last week that because of the way I was selecting teams throughout the last couple of weeks of podcasts, I didn't leave many good teams for episode four here. Um, but we do start with three really good ball clubs, and we'll start with number one. That is the Los Angeles Clippers. They come in at 53 and a half dubs. They will not have Paul George likely for the first month of the season, but this is easily one of the most compelling, easily one of the most exciting, and easily one of the most intriguing teams in the NBA. So, Brandon, we start with you. 53.5 for the Clippers, over or under? I'm going to take the over on this one. You know, Outside of the Houston Rockets and the Denver Nuggets, I think the Los Angeles Clippers are going to be up there, one of the top three teams in the Western Conference. You can't sleep on Kawhi Leonard, obviously, especially after the season that he had last year, elevating the Toronto Raptors. The only way I see this win total going under at this point is if Paul George is out for an extended period of time or doesn't come back 100% for a good portion of time due to the recovery he's going into from his shoulder surgery. Uh, Obviously, having Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, Clippers made the biggest splash of any team in his free agency. And not to mention you have some of the best role players in the entire NBA. Patrick Beverly, a bulldog on defense, can hit three-pointers. Montrezl Harrell, who's really emerged as one of the best offensive centers in the league, and then another player I think to really look out for for the Clippers, Landry Shamit, 
was one of the best three-point shooters in the league last year, as well should fill in very nicely at the two-guard spot. And, of course, Lou Williams. Yeah, when you talk about the Los Angeles Clippers, you're talking about a ball club that won 48 games last year. That's a number nobody thought the Clippers would even sniff last season. But then when you watch that team come together, they bought into what Doc Rivers was selling. They certainly moved the ball very well. They played well as a team. They had two 20-point-per-game scores off their bench in Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, as you prefaced. But then you go on to add two superstars. Yeah, and that's the thing about this team is that they won 48 games last year pretty much on the strength of Tobias Harris and Danilo Gallinari, Patrick Beverly, and you swap those two out for... Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So Upgrade. I think this is a pretty, yeah, just a little bit. Not, no disrespect to Tobias Harris and Danilo Gallinari, but you get 48 wins out of those guys, a team of pretty much role players last year. Pretty easy for me to believe that while the Western Conference is obviously tough, I think this team goes over 53.5. Do you think the NBA championship is absolutely 100% realistic for this team, or do you think there could be some shortcomings? I 100% believe that there really aren't any glaring weaknesses on this team. You have two superstars, two of the best two-way wings in the NBA. You have Patrick Beverly, who may not be a superstar point guard, but he doesn't need to be. He's one of the best role players in the league. And you also have Montrezl Harrell, as I mentioned, Lou Williams, who, while I think he's going to take a bit of a step back this year, I think in terms of his production, he is getting up there with age, but still one of the best bench scorers. Mo Harkless, another fantastic role player, defender. This team should really be phenomenal on defense as well, especially if you put out a lineup of Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Harkless to go along with whatever center they put out, Zubac or Harrell. This team should be scary on defense and then offensively, more of the same. And Zubac. I still don't know how they pulled off that trade of the Lakers last season, shipping away Mike Muscala for Ivica Zubac. I just I don't seem to understand what the Lakers were thinking on that front there. But you I mean you also gotta talk about Jamichael Green is a nice pickup. They bring in Rodney Magruder who can score on the wing. This is a Clipper team that's just from top to bottom so talented, and it's led by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I cannot see this team not getting to that 53-win mark. I'm going over as well. For our next team, the Denver Nuggets, 52.5, finished second in the Western Conference last season. Didn't shake up their team a whole lot, but they are getting a guy that they didn't have available last year. The, what was it, 13th, 15th pick in the NBA? Late lottery, but so Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr., and he has looked fairly solid in the preseason. Certainly the athleticism is on display. He's got a consistent touch overall. What's your take on this team at 52.5 wins? Again, I'm going to go over with the Denver Nuggets because they bring back the same core from last year. I don't expect anyone from this team to really get any worse. There aren't a lot of older players. Obviously, you still have Paul Millsap, and while he isn't quite as good as he used to be, I think Paul Millsap is one of the most underappreciated players in this entire league because we saw last year how much the Denver Nuggets defense improved from last season to the 2017-18 campaign when Millsap came back and played a full season, almost injury-free. You have Nikola Jokic, who's a superstar, and as I mentioned on the last episode, is definitely an MVP candidate. You have Jamal Murray, who still has some playmaking and defensive shortcomings, but is a great scorer, got a big paycheck this past summer. Sure did. Gary Harris who struggled a little last year, but still a good 3-and-D wing. Then Millsap comes back, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley off the bench, and they added in Jeremy Grant in the offseason. I'm going to go barely over for the Nuggets. I'm going to say they win 53 ball games, And the reason I say that is because I've when you look at a lot of teams in the past, a lot of those ball clubs, you could say the 2015 Atlanta Hawks, have that one year where everything just comes together and you play really well. 
I get a sense that the Nuggets, they're not going to drop off like Atlanta did and just become irrelevant, but I think they had their one season last year. Now I think the hype kind of dies down a little bit. I do like what you said about Jeremy Grant. That's an incredible pickup, but I think they're just barely getting over that 53-win mark. I don't have a whole lot of reasoning for it other than I just think teams slowly started figuring out Denver last year. I mean, shoot, Portland was able to drop them in seven. And I, don't, I really didn't think Portland was going to make the Washington Conference Finals last year. Uh, I just find that Denver is still pretty young. And I think when it comes to winning games consistently for even season to season, you're going to need familiar faces who have been around the block a few times. That's a good point because going into last year, I think a lot of people expected Denver to make a leap and finally get into the playoffs. But I don't think anyone really expected this team to be one of the top was it top two or top three seeds? Top two, they were the yeah, second seed in the Western Conference, definitely. Again, you still have Jokic, who is the superstar, but I get what you're saying. I think teams will be a little more prepared this year for Denver. They did struggle in the playoffs a bit. They were barely able to contain the San Antonio Spurs and then defeated by Portland in the second round, but this is still a 50-win team at minimum. We talked Clippers. Let's talk some Lakers. 50-and-a-half dubs for the Los Angeles Lakers. This is, again, one of those teams that are going to be really fun to watch this season. They made it a great additions. They really gave the Warriors the work in the preseason. I, I, I don't know why they played so many times, but we'll talk about yeah. that later. <laughs> but uh, the Lakers at 15.5 wins. I can understand why the, the uh, professionals are kind of skeptical on putting too much stock into this pot. But... I still am going to take over on the Lakers. I think 54 wins is a realistic number for this squad. I'm also going to take the over with this team. Obviously, you have LeBron and AD. It really just depends on how all the role players come together, how Kyle Kuzma comes back into the rotation. He's currently dealing with an injury. I also think they made one of the more quiet yet fantastic additions of the offseason, bringing in maybe the best 3 and D player, one of the best 3 and D players in the league in Danny Green. He's going to have a major impact. The one thing that the Lakers decided to do this offseason that they didn't do last offseason was add three-point shooters. Yeah. Guys who could actually knock down open shots because that was the area guys that, that really, make, yeah. the Achilles heel for the Lakers. Team guys that make LeBron's life a lot easier too. And you know, I, it is kind of weird. When I was a Cavaliers fan, or, I am a Cavaliers fan, but when LeBron was on the Cavaliers, a lot of people on the outside kept saying, Man, like every, anytime LeBron comes to town, a team totally changes their team around and they build around him. And once he leaves, then you're just left with a bunch of misfits. And now that I'm looking from the outside, it, yeah, you can see that. It's a totally different Lakers team than we saw last year. Certainly way different than we saw two years ago. Um, they've surrounded him with shooters. They've surrounded him with athletic big men. I think they are stacked down low. Unfortunately, DeMarcus Cousins isn't ready to go and he's injured for... They're saying this season, I, I hope we, we haven't seen the last of Marcus Cousins, but Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and Anthony Davis, I mean, that is a, ter- a terrific down-low trio to go for for the rest of the season here. Yeah, I think LeBron really brought out the best in JaVale McGee last year. I think JaVale had his best season as a pro. Obviously, a great lob threat. We could see a lot of Anthony Davis playing at the center position this year as well. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case and. Not really sure how this Dwight Howard experiment is going to work. He's obviously not the same player that he once was, really not as much of a force on defense. And then offensively, it's very limited to the post, still not a lot of post moves. So I know Dwight will be the starting center at the start of the season more than likely. Either him or JaVale McGee, I think it really doesn't make much of a difference. But another thing I think to look out for is the point guard spot. That was really the only 
position that the Lakers didn't shore up this offseason. There have been several talks about how LeBron will obviously be the starting point guard, and I think that's the best move for this team. I think putting Rajon Rondo on the bench is really the right call to make. I Rajon Rondo just not much of an effective player anymore really on either end, and I don't think he fits with LeBron on the court. I also like the additions of Avery Bradley. I think Troy Daniels is underrated as a shooter. Um, Avery Bradley, people have been really talking about him, saying that he's been the hardest worker at practice, saying that he's been locking up guys left and right, and he comes in ready to work. And I think when you're playing with a guy like LeBron, you love to see, he definitely loves to see a guy that's ready to come in and just get the dirty work done and uh, take a lot of load off of him on the defensive side of the ball. I think Avery Bradley was a fantastic pickup for this Lakers team. I'm going to go 54 wins. Them them are the Clippers I have coming out of the West in that playoffs to meet Sixers in the finals. So I think the Lakers 54 wins is certainly doable. And if if not 50-some wins, it's going to be really fun basketball to watch. The Orlando Magic. I can't believe this team made the playoffs last year. I really can't. I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't mean to disrespect them by any means, but their best player is Nikola Vucevic, who isn't exactly a modern day center. Yes, he can touch. He has a little bit of an outside touch, but he's very slow. He's not very mobile. Um, as far as Aaron Gordon, I think he's going to have a big step up this year. But when you're starting shooting guard is Terrence Ross. Granted, Ross played very well. I was really surprised. Also, DJ Augustine is your starting point guard, but 41.5 wins is the projection. I'm going under on the Magic. I don't know what you're gonna th- what you're thinking. Well, that's a very tough call for me, and looking at the season last year for the Orlando Magic, I think that banked on the development of Nikola Vucevic. I think he's really become more than just a one-dimensional post-scorer now because throughout his career, the biggest knocks on Vucevic were simply, you know, he wasn't a good defender and he didn't have much of an outside shot. And he has improved both of those areas to this point, warranting him his first All-Star selection last year. Another big key for the Orlando Magic will be Aaron Gordon, like you said. I think he's made small improvements throughout his NBA career, but as you mentioned, he hasn't taken that big step yet. And if the Magic want to improve a lot, they need him to step up. I'd give this team right around 40 wins, or 41 wins. I expect them to be back in that 8-9 to seed range in the playoff chase. The biggest question for this team, are they going to go after a point guard? Because right now the point guard spot is a huge question mark. You have DJ Augustine, who was surprisingly very effective last year. Not a great starter in the NBA by any means, but he's efficient. He takes care of the basketball. He shoots the ball well. And then another big question, what about Markel Fultz? He gets another chance with the Orlando Magic, and if Augustine starts to slip and when he starts to slip, because I think that will be this season, Markel Fultz is going to get a lot of reps. Now he's in a new situation, still young, has a lot of potential, has been a universal bust thus far, but a chance for Fultz to redeem himself here in Orlando. There is no way, though, you can bank on the health of Markel Fultz, and that's the big issue. You mentioned it. you got to bring in some more guard depth if you're this Orlando team. Why do you have so many big men? I don't understand it. Aaron Gordon, Nikola Vucevic, why did you draft Mo Bamba? I mean, I know Bamba, they're expecting big things from this year, and from what I've seen, the preseason looks pretty good. Jonathan Isaac really plays more of like a, like a power forward. Al Farouk Aminu was such a random signing that I don't even understand how he fits their system. When I say they're going to be under, I'm saying like 39, 40 dubs. But I I just get a sense that Orlando had one of those seasons and they were able to capitalize on a week east. Granted, it's a week east again, but 
I don't know. I just can't see Orlando, especially with the way they're embarrassed by Toronto after winning game one in against the Raptors. They really got slapped, if we're going to be totally honest, the rest of that series. I just don't see... I think Toronto exposed who the Magic's team really is more like. But if they have some Magic in them, maybe they make another run. I just I can't see it. Well, at the end of the day, this team's offensive spark plug is Terrence Ross, as you mentioned. The guy who comes off the bench is really one of the more clutch players as well, banking on guys like... Evan Fournier to get it done and Fournier has improved his defense he's coming off a tough shooting season they're going to need him to step up in that regard one player that I am big on on the Orlando Magic is Jonathan Isaac I think the ceiling or his ceiling is very high offensively he's still raw but he's developing a jump shot and cut down on his turnovers last year and his mid-range frequency but then defensively Isaac has just been a beast he can guard really any position on the court it's very athletic long quick all the tools to be a great defensive player in the NBA should fill out nicely at the forward spot alongside Aaron Gordon and Vucevic. I think, again, decent starting lineup. The Magic, they're pretty much running it back this year, I mean, yeah. which isn't a bad move given that they surprised a lot of people and snuck into the playoffs last year. But, again, I don't see this team's ceiling being any higher than the first round in the playoffs once again. We move on to the Chicago Bulls, 32.5 wins. Again, that's a pretty significant drop-off of nine games between the Magic and the Bulls. It's just... Just the way I picked it, I guess. That's what I'm left with. But the Chicago Bulls at 32.5, my friend Tyler Johnson loves the baby Bulls. And what we mean by that is Zach Levine, Larry Markinen, Wendell Carter Jr., Kobe White, that, that young core could be good in a couple of years, but could they reach that 32 mark this year? I think that's a little low for this team, to be honest. Really? I say mid to maybe even high 30s set a peak for the Chicago okay. Bulls team. I think they're the biggest sleeper to make the playoffs right now. There's one team that I think could potentially hop over the Detroit Pistons and the Orlando Magic into that 8 or 9 spot. It's going to be the Bulls. The biggest key for this team this season is their health. Because over the past couple of years, Laurie Markkinen, Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, all of their core guys, even Wendell Carter last year, missed time due to injury. If this young core is able to play together for a good stretch of the season and they can all remain healthy I think this squad can surprise a lot of people again they're still young I don't see them making it past the first round of the playoffs but I do see them exceeding the 32 and a half win total I love the additions of Thaddeus Young as well as Tomas Sadoransky you bring in a veteran like Thaddeus Young who can just flat out get 12 points eight rebounds off your bench and is going to be good for the locker room Tomas Sadoransky I think is one of the best backup point guards I guess it kind of makes you wonder, where does Chris Dunn fit into all of this? Is he still the starter? Are they going to maybe look to Kobe White and immediately throw him you know, right, to, right into the fire? He's definitely shown the ability to score the basketball at the pro level in the preseason so far. But this team is exciting to watch. I'm going to go over as well. I see they get 35 to 36 wins this campaign. Otto Porter, of course, is solid. Denzel Valentine, a forgotten player off their bench. They're a little bit deeper than I actually originally thought, but... Yeah, the Chicago Bulls got a good thing going for their future, and I think we're not a, only a couple of years out before this team is maybe in that top four discussion, top five discussion again for the Eastern Conference. It's a very pivotal year for Zach Levine, as well as been a very dominant scorer in the NBA thus far, but it's really the other facets of his game that he's needed to work on. I think this could be the year where Zach Levine cracks the all-star roster for the first time. Then looking at Chris Dunn, I can't see him being that big of a... Uh, asset in the future for the Chicago Bulls team. I think especially given uh, Jim Boylan's two-guard system where he likes to have two guys running the offense and taking the ball up the court, Chris Dunn's still not that effective off the ball given he doesn't have that great of a jumper. He's still a great defender, 
but I don't think Chicago is a place where he can really thrive. Dunn is a guy who needs to have the ball in his hands to be effective, and if he's playing off the ball, he's not as good or he can't maximize his potential as well as he needs to. And then, again, Laurie Markkinen, also very big on him. If he stays healthy, he'll be one of the best pick-and-pop big men in the NBA. Great shooter. If he improves his defense, if this entire Bulls team improves their defense for that matter, which I think Thaddeus Young, especially like you said, will help. This team could sneak into the playoffs this year, and I think they'll definitely go over 32.5. This next team we're going to talk about, I feel terrible for them and their fan base. The Oklahoma City Thunder at 31.5 wins. We're talking about it. We're talking about a team that has just had hit after hit after hit. If you want to start, move all the way back to 2012, even a couple years before that, this Oklahoma City Thunder team, once at one time, all on the same team, had Kevin Durant. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Jeff Green, Reggie Jackson. Year by year goes on. James Harden is shipped off. Ibaka is traded for Oladipo. Durant leaves for Golden State. Then they bring in Paul George as a two-year rental just for Paul George to demand a trade. Thunder get a crap ton of picks, and they get an aging Chris Paul for their franchise star, Russell Westbrook. We're looking at a team that now is led by Chris Paul, Steven Adams, Danilo Gallinari, and I doubt this roster stays intact for the whole season. I would have to agree with you 100% there. I mean, you're talking about a franchise that drafted three consecutive MVPs and didn't win a title out of it. Ugh. So, I mean, Thunder fans won't want to hear that one. Obviously, it, uh, it's a little sour for the ears there, but looking at the team this year, like you said, I can't see this roster staying intact for too long, and that's why it's hard for me. I think the Thunder may be the most difficult team to predict in terms of an over-under on the win total because if they keep their veterans throughout the entirety of the season, which is highly doubtful because, again, they're staring a rebuild right in the face, they definitely won't hang on to Chris Paul. I wouldn't assume some team is going to try to take him on. He's Miami. still Yeah, well... I don't know. They'll be tough. Their cap space is very difficult. So we'll see. <laughs> they do have a lot of assets there, but not a lot of cap room for Miami. Orlando's another team that I think could potentially buy into the Chris Paul because, again, Orlando gaping hole at a point guard spot. And I think if that Orlando team has a point guard, they will be much better off if they upgrade the point guard position. But, anyways, we already talked about Orlando. But with <laughs> OKC, the, the only real great young prospect they have at their disposal is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yep. But other than that, I think everyone on this team is expendable as of right now as they try to construct the roster for the rebuild. Yeah, I feel terrible, man, for that Thunder franchise. I guarantee you those fans are still going to show up. They, they got some great fans over there in Oklahoma. But, yeah, Paul George leaves, and I then started feeling bad for Russell Westbrook. At that point, it's like... Well, what's the point of having Russ on the team anymore? We've already tried this experiment where he averages a triple-double every single game, and they're good enough to get swept in the first round, like or five games, whatever you want to call it, gentleman sweep. Um, I do like the fact that they bought in, though, to the rebuild. They knew this wasn't going to be good, so they just stock up on picks after picks. They're going to have picks galore for years to come. And assuming they can get rid of Chris Paul, a couple more picks, maybe a young player or something like that for him, I think they have... For the cards they've been dealt, I think they have a decent future. I do as well. Uh, the most confusing thing about this team right now in terms of this season for predicting their win total is that 
with the way their roster currently sits, they're a fringe playoff team. I think they're more than capable of having a win total in the low to mid-40s, but they're also one or two trades away from being in the cellar of the Western Conference just like that, especially I think Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari will definitely be traded. Uh, Steven Adams been very loyal to the franchise. You felt bad for Russell Westbrook, but I feel bad for Steven Adams because he's gone yeah. through all of these rosters and is now left with a team that's really a shell of their former selves. And in terms of 31, I'm going to say over. I think this team hangs on to their veterans for maybe a little under half the season before finally having a fire sale and dealing everybody away. And by that point, their collapse won't be the entire season. It'll just be maybe 30, 35 games or so. And I think they just barely sneak past the 31 marker. But again, tough to predict. I'm going to go under 31 and a half, right around 29, 30 wins. And you said it, it's tough to predict. I think you could have this team winning 38 games. I think you could have this team winning 24 games. I mean, I really, it's impossible to predict when you have a team that definitely won't be structured the same as the season goes on. But yeah, okay, see, good things ahead. Maybe years from now in Season 7 of Logan Low Post, we'll be talking about <laughs> the Thunder making a ride to the NBA Championship led by LaMelo Ball. I, I don't know. Well, if they draft three <laughs> more MVPs, hopefully they figure it They'll out. They'll be just time. fine, right. <laughs> the Phoenix Suns, they have been stuck in the dumpster. Want, the cellar, yeah. as you said earlier, <laughs> yeah. the cellar of the NBA. 28 and a half wins. Devin Booker had a phenomenal season last year. A career season. He averaged way more assists than he ever has in most of his career, playing a lot of that point guard position. But the guy isn't winning at all. That's the and I take a lot of flack for this take personally. Uh-huh. But I believe that Devin Booker is one of the most overrated players in the NBA over the okay. past couple of years. For that reason. The fact that, number one, Phoenix is not winning with him. If you're a superstar, you're leading your team to victories. It's really that simple. And I believe that Devin Booker, first of all, according to a stat called Defensive Player Impact Plus Minus, Devin Booker was the worst defender in the NBA last year. Really? Really. Dead last. He's never obviously been known for his defense. And another thing with Devin Booker, I was diving into some of the analytics when I did my Phoenix Suns written preview write-up. The two most compatible players to Devin Booker in terms of win shares in his career thus far have been Pablo Prigioni and Jordan Clarkson. Oh, my Which, God. again, I believe Devin Booker's better than those guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not disrespecting Devin Booker to the point where I think he's like a bench warmer. I think he's a third or fourth option at best at this point. But he did have a much better season last year, especially as a facilitator. That's still a work in progress, but he got a lot better in the pick and roll as a passer. And I think Ricky Rubio, the Suns finally adding a true point guard after all these years, helps their offense significantly, especially for a guy like DeAndre Ayton. I like the lot potential between Rubio and Ayton. Do you think Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton is sustainable? I think if you throw another star in that mix, I like both those guys, but I'm not positive that either of them could be the number one option on a team. Again, DeAndre Ayton was overshadowed a lot last year by Luka Doncic. It's not very often you see a number one pick that is overshadowed. Like the biggest thing with both those guys, they got to improve their defense. The Suns are a nightmare on defense right now. They made a couple small moves in the offseason to try to improve upon that signing. Aaron Baines, who will give you spurts of post defense. Uh, Ricky Rubio, who's a solid two way point guard. Nothing spectacular, but he'll help you out on both sides of the ball. They finally have a true facilitator, like I mentioned. 
Another player I'm big on on Phoenix is Mikal Bridges. I think he's another solid 3 and D prospect who... I'm a little confused as to the strategy of the Suns right now because they have Kelly Oubre, and then they drafted Cameron Johnson in the lottery, so I think the forward spots are a little bit clogged up right now, and they also have Dario Saric. They do have Dario Saric. I was just going to mention that. Tyler Johnson can be a point guard as well uh, to back up Ricky Rubio. Yeah, I think it is a lot of misfits on a team. I think Ricky Rubio, DeAndre Ayton, and Devin Booker doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you put those three together. Maybe individually, yes. Maybe two of them together, yes. But I think all three of them, that's just three very different players, three very different styles of play. And I don't see how that can be sustained for years to come. I think eventually Phoenix ends up moving on from one of Devin Booker or DeAndre Ayton uh, to potentially rebuilding, getting a... a, I don't don't know if they're going to get... Well, they gave Booker a pretty penny. They did. They they invested a lot in him. They did. Um, that's not to say they couldn't still trade him, though. Right. And I I think Devin Booker would be a fantastic second option. You know, honestly, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that Milwaukee doesn't have a true number two. They have Chris Middleton. That would be intriguing to like pair up someone up like Giannis with Devin Booker. I think that would be good for each other. Like That's a totally... There's no rumors of that. There's no reports of that. I'm just trying to throw out a team where I think Devin Booker could use his strengths better. I think... Him dominating the basketball actually isn't good for him. When a guy scores 70 points in a game and his team loses by 20 points, something's not right. As far as leadership, as far as the way he scored that 70 points, something's not right about that. It's just not that efficient. While he has got more efficient over the past couple of years as an all-around offensive player, his shot selection is still very spotty. And then on defense, well, he's still a nightmare. <laughs> Apparently so the worst not, defender in yeah. the NBA. So. Uh, I don't know if he's actually the worst defender in the NBA. I might not call him that, but a lot of times the numbers don't lie. And Devin Booker, while he may not be the worst all-around defender in the league, I think he's definitely still down there. And I think when it all evens out, he's still really kind of a average starter, a little bit of an up-and-comer, if you will. Still very inefficient, ball-dominant. I think having guys like Ricky Rubio and DeAndre Ayton takes away from Booker a little bit. He's still improving again. He's, what, 23, 22 years old, so he's got a lot of time to improve. But the clock is ticking for Phoenix, and I'm going to go under the 28-win total. I don't think they should be quite as bad as they've been in years past, but at the same time, in a very tough Western Conference, who are the Phoenix Suns going to beat? All right. They're going to be trying to battle with teams like the Sacramento Kings, and I'm going to take Sacramento over Phoenix any day. Uh... I'm torn because I kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt and hope they get 29 wins. But I'm going to play it safe and go under as well on Phoenix. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go under. I'm going to go 26-27 wins for Phoenix. I think they also are one of those teams that maybe plays teams well competitively, maybe puts in a few scares, but I can't see them sustaining that for a full season. Our last three teams, this will definitely be the last intriguing team. The last two are forgettable, but... Memphis Grizzlies will at least be fun to watch. They add easily the most fun player to watch in college basketball last year, John Morant. Pair him with Jaron Jackson Jr., two young guys. I I think they got something cooking right now in Memphis. They certainly do, but it's not going to happen this year. They've still got a lot of time to figure things out. There's going to be a lot of roster reconstruction over these next couple of years, especially this year, as they try to figure out what veteran pieces they're going to surround Morant and Jackson with. I believe right now the Memphis Grizzlies are the worst team in the Western Conference, and I'm going to put them under the 27-win slot. Again, John Morant, 
I think point guards really have the biggest learning curve of any rookies oh, in yeah. the NBA. Way more they, responsibilities than any other position no question, in the NBA. No question. Moran, I think, struggles defensively. That was not his strength in college. I think he'll struggle with his shot as well. Still not that great of an outside shooter. Should be a good facilitator, but there's going to be a lot of learning for John Moran this year. And I'm very intrigued with Jaron Jackson Jr. I think he can be a defensive guru, a stalwart in this league. And then on offense, has shown flashes of being a big man who can stretch the floor and can also beat guys off the dribble too. Just a very dynamic big man all around. And he's still very young as well. So again, just... Still a lot of rebuilding left to do for Memphis. The current starting shooting guard for the Memphis Grizzlies is Dylan Brooks. I'm yeah. going on. I'm going to go under. Yeah, I'm going to okay, go. I'm under. sorry. Like the I, best player on their roster right now is Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah. So I'm going to have to take the under <laughs> on this one, unfortunately. Yeah, Jonas. But, I also don't think he's going to be lasting in Memphis. I, he's got a a fairly big contract for the value that he gives you. He really thrived last year after he, he was did. traded. He did. He really did. But, I mean, like I said, I think or like we both agreed, everyone's going to thrive in that environment on Memphis. It's just not going to lead to any wins. Yeah, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., those two, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jaron Jackson lob up John Morant a few times. Like, yeah, we were talking know. about Ja throwing some lobs at the athletic big man like Jaron Jackson Jr., Hopefully, Jaron Jackson Jr. can also teach a few defensive schemes to Morant. But, yeah, I I like what Milwaukee has. I think if you're a Grizzlies fan, I think you're going to go to the game just to watch those two. You might not come out with any wins, but to watch those two play together should be a lot of fun for years to come. The Washington Wizards, 26.5 wins. They just inked Bradley Beal to an extension, an extension many people didn't think was going to happen. No, I certainly didn't, and I was going to hammer the under with this team before Beal took that extension, but now with Beal, what's our total? 26 and, 26 a half? and a half. You think 30 is realistic? Getting above 30? I think high 20s, new low 30s is realistic, but there still is not a lot around Bradley Beal. Even with Beal, I'm not confident that this team can hit 26. The point guard position is a gaping hole right now. John Wall is out for the entire season with an injury. Isaiah Thomas is out, not that he's even the same player he once was. Their starting point guard is Ish Smith, who may be the biggest journeyman in NBA history. And outside of them, you have Davis Bertans, um, Rui Hachimura, but I expect him to really struggle. I wasn't that big on Hachimura out of the draft. Thomas Bryant at center, a young, intriguing piece, but still just kind of an average starter now at best. But I I see this team right around that mid to high 20 mark. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt in a weak Eastern Conference. I still think they're better than about four teams in the East, so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and take the over. Man, I'm looking at this Wizards roster right now, and what I'm looking at right now is they kind of put it in order of best player to worst player. So they have John Wall as the top player, which I also don't agree. I think Bradley Beal is the best player on this team, but no John Wall anyway. So Bradley Beal, your best player. The next they have Willis's Ruby Achimura, then Isaiah Thomas, then Moritz Wagner. From Michigan. Yep. I Lakers mean, there really, there really was, isn't much. There's not a lot. I think their third best player is Bertans. I, really believe, I like Bertans. Yeah, good, I do. But A good stretch ooh. big. I mean, not going to lead your team to the promised land by any means. But really the best role player this team has at its disposal right now. Thomas Bryant isn't bad, but there's not a lot of hope for the Wizards right now. And they've got a lot invested now in Wallen Beal, which hasn't worked in the past. So. And they get Ish Smith from Detroit. Ish Smith is such a good backup point guard. That point guard position, though, is 
bad. He's for not Washington. a starter. He is not a starter. No, he's not. And Isaiah Thomas is five nine. Ishmith isn't much taller. There's not much to like about this Wizards team. I'm going well under. You know, I'm going to go well under. And that's talking about a team that has what I think is a top three, maybe top five shooting guard in the NBA in Bradley Beal. I just I feel bad for Bradley. I don't know how he's going to lead this kind of team to even remotely close to 30 wins. He, Bradley Beal might average 30 points, six rebounds, and six assists this year, and they will win less than 30 games. Yeah. I mean, that's that's tough. It really is. So, Wizards, I'm going under. That's just that's safe, in my opinion, when you look at that roster. I was expecting to see like a few names. You know, there's always a few teams I look back at their rosters. I'm like, oh, yeah, they got him. I forgot they acquired him. I forgot they traded for him. Right. I just... Didn't know who there's was nobody on the right? I, I didn't know who was on. I knew they acquired Bertons, but I was like, that Loki might be the next best player after Bradley Beal, and sure enough, it it very well may. So Wizards might are they worse though than this final team, the Charlotte Hornets at twenty three and a half wins. Now Charlotte, they're going to be a nightmare. Obviously, you gave away arguably your franchise's best player ever. For Terry Rozier, a Just guy to pay who him has the not, same amount as you could pay have paid him the Kemba. same amount as Kemba Walker, and then maybe what a couple extra second round picks, or was it one second round pick for Kemba Walker when yeah. you didn't want to pay the man? I mean, hey, th- I'm glad the Hornets were generous enough to give Kemba Walker away to a team that's probably going to actually win games now. So kudos to them for that. But where's the offense going to come from with Charlotte? I mean, your best player. Terry Rozier, as I mentioned, has averaged double-digit points per game once. He had one decent stretch in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Again, a good defender, but I don't trust him leading my team on offense. And then the rest of the roster is just a bunch of unproven young players surrounded by role players who have not lived up to their salaries. Yeah, unless Malik Monk and Miles Bridges have a big step up, the Charlotte Hornet team... It's probably just, it probably is probably worse than that Wizards team. It's tough to gauge right now. They just have such a terrible history, though, of drafting players. Outside of Kemba, I mean, you talk about Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. I forgot that he was even in the league. He's now, like, backing up there in Charlotte. And when you're backing up for the Hornets, you're not very good. Um, Cody Zeller didn't live to his potential. That's another guy they brought in at the number four pick. And then Nicholas Batum is just overpaid, ridiculously overpaid. Yeah, this Hornets team is not good. <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of decent run-of-the-mill veterans on their team, which could drag them over the 23-and-a-half win mark. But then again, last year, off a phenomenal season from Kemba Walker and a good year from Jeremy Lamb, this team managed to muster up 38 wins. What was it? I believe it was somewhere around 36 to 38 yeah. victories, somewhere in that range. So without those two guys, especially obviously without Kemba Walker... The, the offense is going to be catastrophic. I mean, Terry Rozier, Malik Monk, and Dwayne Bacon are all going to take turns taking very bad shots. Miles Bridges has the potential to be a good starter in the league. I think he put a promising rookie season together, but he's still got a lot of developing to do. And again, th- this team just loves overpaying for role players. Guys like Nicholas Patum has pretty much been a corpse since he got to Charlotte. Yeah. Cody Zeller might be the best all-around player on this team right now. And I'm being dead serious when I say I that. Know. He's an average <laughs> offensive guy and an average defensive guy. Nothing that really stands out. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Bismack, Biombo, they, they love just dumping these big contracts on these guys. I mean, this The future looks very bleak for the Charlotte Hornets. It's very tough for me to take the over with this team, and I, I can't bring myself to do it. I Isn't it bad 
that it's hard for us to take an over on 23 and a half wins. I mean, that's when you know your team is in the dumps right now. I'm going to go under as well. I'm not sure if this team reaches 20 wins on their season. I hope they prove me wrong. Much like I hope the Suns prove me wrong. I hope Devin Booker ends up finding that leadership quality or DeAndre Ayton develops a little bit. But, yeah, that was a disappointing w way to <laughs> wrap up the 30 teams in the NBA. Yeah, we really went through uh, the pick of the litter there on the last one. Absolutely. But let's go to look forward to the rest of the season now. Preseason's done. NBA season starts Tuesday. But what was your biggest takeaway from that preseason? Truth be told, I did not watch a lot of preseason basketball simply because I think a lot of the teams really aren't going as hard as possible. Um, biggest takeaways from the preseason, I'm sorry. I have to steal your idea. Obviously, Zion, Dang it. You Zion told me is you dominant. Look, I'm, hey, you said you weren't going to make fun of my podcast. And I did. So <laughs> you had it coming. You had it coming. But Zion is very good at basketball. Zion that, that certainly is. And looking at some of the other teams in the league, I think a lot of people are very concerned about the Golden State Warriors, especially after all of the uh, beatdowns they've got from the Los Angeles Lakers here in this preseason. Lakers have run them off the floor a couple of times. Obviously, the running joke now is that these teams have played like 10 times in the yeah. preseason. Um, I'm still trying to tell people, you know, have faith in the Warriors and just watch out for them because once that regular season comes around, this team is going to be locked right back in. I'm a little surprised... Uh, with how Marquise Chris has come into the fold with Golden State. I know this is a player that may not... Uh, I liked him in Phoenix. Yeah, if there's one player that I have been surprised with is Marquise Chris. Not that he's lighting the world on fire no. right now, but he's emerging as a possible candidate for the starting center spot in Golden State. This is his fourth team now in four years. was really kind of a raw athletic project out of Washington and has really only been known for, well, fighting people in the NBA thus far. Yeah but really has a chance to redeem himself on a Warrior team where the center spot is wide open. I think Kavon Looney's very underrated. Willie Cauley-Stein? Willie Cauley-Stein is up there too, but I like Looney more than Cauley-Stein. Really? I do. I think Kavon Looney may be one of the more underpaid players in the NBA. He's been a big factor for this team in the playoffs the last couple of years, and now I think he'll take on a much bigger role. I think all the role guys have to, and... It'll be interesting to see how those guys step up for Golden State. I still think Steph Curry is going to have an MVP season, and I don't know. It, it'll be interesting. My biggest takeaways, much like you said with the Golden State, uh, they've always been known for strength in numbers. That depth is a little bit uh, tough to look at right now for Golden State. Yeah, I think their starting five it still looks pretty good. I mean, when I have Clay Thompson, that starting five looks really good. But, yeah, they really don't have a great bench. Alec Burks can score a little bit off the bench. Maybe Marquise Chris doesn't make that starting five and he comes off and brings some energy. But, yeah, I don't think they have a whole lot of bench, and that's something that I'm just not used to seeing on a Golden State team. Do I still think they might win that 50 wins, like I said earlier in the podcast a couple of weeks ago? I think they could still potentially reach 50. I mean, 49 was the number that we read off. I decided to take the over. We'll see if they get there. My next big takeaway, since I can't say Zion now, um, I think people are underestimating the Dallas Mavericks, and I think I might have been as well. I think that Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis tandem is going to wreck the league for years to come. The European duo, man. Those two guys, they're just just—they're so different than anybody else in the NBA with the way they play. I mean, you can say Luka Doncic is literally a less athletic James Harden with the way he plays, or Kristaps Porzingis is you know the unicorn, as they say, and can shoot literally over anybody. Um, I think the Mavericks are going to surprise a few more people than we thought 
they would this year. I really like the way they looked in the preseason, at least. Yeah, another surprise for me, if I had to do one more besides Zion, sorry, <laughs> is it'll be the Indiana Pacers. It'll be interesting to see how this team constructs their roster moving forward because now that there are rumors that DeMontis Sabonis is on the trade block, he's really been underused over the last couple of seasons for Indiana, despite being one of the most efficient big men in the NBA. It appears the Pacers are leaning towards keeping Miles Turner over Sabonis, which doesn't completely surprise me. And then how will other guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb, and T.J. Warren step up to fill the void of Victor Oladipo until he comes back? I think T.J. Warren's always been a good stats, bad team guy. We'll see how he thrives with Indiana as the potential to be a go-to scorer. And then Brogdon and Lamb, same thing. You know, Great role players, Brogdon, a good two-way guard. And then Jeremy Lamb coming off his best season with Charlotte. I think they all should fill in for Oladipo quite nicely. And this Pacers team... Should tread water until Oladipo comes back, and another big key for them is if Oladipo comes back fully healthy. I want to make this last segment very short. A little bit fun. We're going a little fun here, because we never have fun on this podcast, obviously. Right. We're previewing opening night. It starts in Toronto. The Raptors going to have ring ceremony without the guy who probably won them the rings, yeah. Kawhi Leonard. The best player in franchise history. And the he's not going to be there. Will not be there. And they're taking on the Pelicans, who are Zionless. So, interesting. Hope give me a final thing. score, your prediction, real quick. Final score prediction. Um, yeah, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I'll, you I'll certainly are. I'm going to have to take the Toronto Raptors in this game. I think, at, obviously, the ring ceremony will certainly help. The dynamic will be a lot of fun. Fans will be packing the arena. Give me the Toronto Raptors in that game. I'm going to go Toronto 110, Pelicans 96. I mean, for a lot of the reasons you said, I think losing on ring night is despicable. I I don't know how teams... The Golden State's lost on ring night the last two seasons at home to the Houston Rockets. I I don't understand how you can do that, especially when you're all jacked up looking at your last season. Granted, it's not the same Toronto Raptors team, but if you're not facing Zion, I think you got to come out of that Scotiabank Arena with a win to start out your season, because I think Toronto is a better team also than people are giving them credit for. Then we have the first battle of L.A., Clippers-Lakers, but the Clippers don't have Paul George. I'm telling you, these injuries are really hurting the first couple of weeks of the NBA season. Yeah, I'm going to take the Lakers in that one. But it's, but it's at L.A. Clippers, Lakers, dude. Yeah. All right, knock it off. <laughs> I'm gonna take, I'll take the Los Angeles. Boy, you are just full of them today, Lord, you know that. But I will, I will take the Los Angeles Lakers. In that game, I think we'll be excited to see the LeBron AD combination in the regular season. They were really just lighting teams up in the preseason when they did play together. Give me the Lakers in that one with a Clipperless or Paul Georgeless Clippers team. I'm going to go 114 103 Los Angeles Lakers in that game. So that'll do it. NBA season is on Tuesday. The World Series is set. We've got the Astros and the Nationals. Who are you rooting for? Give me the Astros, no question. I like the Nationals, a good underdog a story, story this year. Man. It's it's about time they got to the World Series. Uh, Bryce Harper is probably somewhere punching the air right now. <laughs> but um, give me the Houston Astros. I just don't see how a team could possibly compete with the pitching trio of Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and um, Zach Greinke. Um, give me the Houston Astros, I think, in five games. In the Astros in five. I think I'm going to have to agree with you. I want to see the Nationals get it done, finish off this story, but I don't see how they get it done. doesn't matter. We're talking NBA. NFL season, once again, is in the middle of their season. 
MLB coming to the end, and that means the NBA soon enough is going to take over the spotlight of the sports world. So definitely stick and stay right here with the Logan and the Low Post podcast every Sunday. I'll be back with you next week for episode five of Logan and the Low Post. So long, everyone. Peace.